What happens if God were to tell you and look at you right now and in one, with one hand absolutely say to you, um, I have huge affection for you, love for you. Uh, I, I'm pouring out uh, favor over you. And yet on the other side, he says, do you want to reach your potential? Do you want to grow further than you've grown right now? And that's kind of what we're thinking about this morning, is becoming all that God has for us. Most of us resist that. Most of us are living... Uh, I had a picture as, we were, as I was thinking about this of, of, you know, drag marks to the kingdom of heaven. Where God drags us along because we're so reluctant. Because there's this fear that he's going to ruin our lives. Or there's this something in us that resists. And so in this passage we're reading, if we read the next passage, he talks about weeping over Jerusalem. He says, I long that you would come, that you would, but you wouldn't. And we just sung about amazing grace, and God's a God of amazing grace. And, and grace is about, there's nothing that you can do that can cause me to withdraw from you. There's nothing that you can do or that you are right now that causes me to really get angry at you. I can weep over you. I can grieve because you're trying to... You're trying to kind of keep your favor with me and do your own thing, and, and neither of us are happy. And so I want to talk about that, and I can talk about it with great illustration because my whole life is an illustration of that struggle. And all I know uh, at this stage of life is that every time I've resisted, it's got bad. And every time I've yielded, over time, it's got better. And so there's a point where I go, I don't want to resist. And even where I am resisting, I give you permission to help me not resist. And God says, that's cool, because I'm here to help. I'm not here to tell you how to be, and then when you are that, then we can get together. I have come that you might have life, and I have come to help you become what you are not. So I'm not particularly upset by your sin. I'm not particularly surprised, and I'm not, I'm not really traumatized by your sin. I've seen it before. I am as unperturbed about your sin as a doctor is unperturbed about diagnosing you as sick. That's why the doctor's there. Because if I can diagnose you as sick, then I can actually prescribe something to heal you. And so very often God is trying to get our attention in order that he can release his grace more fully in us. But he can't release it if there's no place to put it because we won't, we deny it. Do you know what I mean? If we don't allow him to reveal to us where we are in rebellion or where we are in, out of alignment with him, and, and quite honestly most of us know that pretty easily, then he can't give us grace. Grace only comes... How's this? Grace only comes with an awareness and revelation of my potential to disgrace. The more I'm aware of what I am not, the more God is saying, well, I am. So I can help you. And the battle we're in is that because we come out of slavery in Egypt, which means we, we're, we come out of a culture where there is oppression, where there's self-esteem issues, where there's unbelief, uh, we continually are reverting back to looking at ourselves and disqualifying ourselves. Whereas God the Father is continually saying, 
You're qualified by what you think disqualifies you. It's called grace. I have bridged the gap between what you can't do and what I want you to be. This is booming a bit. Um, and so when we, we are in uh, this passage of Luke 13, Jesus talks about the kingdom and what's the kingdom of God like. And he talks about this mustard seed and he says this mustard seed grows into this great big bush and the, tree, the, 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 the birds live in it. And what does he say? He says uh, the mustard seed, a man took and planted it in his garden and it grew and became a tree and it was, it was huge. Out of proportion to the size that it began. What shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. Yeast into flour, the woman took and, and mixed it in, and it became uh, until it worked all the way through the dough. So he's saying the kingdom of God is like a seed. It's like something quite small that when it's mixed in, makes a huge impact. So there's no such thing as a Christian mustard seed or Christian yeast. If I appear before God and said, I'm a little mustard seed for you, Jesus, he might say, I never knew you. If I say, I'm a little bit of yeast, he might say, I never knew you. Why do you go to the store and buy yeast? You, you, you buy it in order to put it into something. You take seeds in order to plant them so that they might become what they are not as seeds. Many churches are like big seed shops. The seeds come in every week and they sing songs to Jesus and they go out again. Seeds for Jesus. And the weeds grow and the seeds sing songs. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. But we came every week. We sang songs to you. I never knew you. Why? Because a seed exists in order to be planted, in order to be transformed, in order to become what it cannot become as a seed. Yeast exists in order to be mixed in with dough, in order to make bread and other things. Its very purpose is to become something that it is not at its birth. Jesus is all about transformation. So the whole purpose of following Jesus is to become what I cannot be on my own. And if I insist on being a Bible-believing seed, he might say, I never knew you. He might say, see that bush? That was John. As I took him and planted him, and he became something he could never have been if he hadn't allowed me to take hold of him. The kingdom of heaven is like mustard seed that was taken in the hand of a man who planted it. The yeast was placed in the hand of a woman who needed it. And you and I, whose hand are you in? What are you becoming? What is God able to make you, and what is he making you into? Do you know? This is meant to be positive, but it's just thoughtful. Do you know? One of the biggest diseases in our Western society is our individualism. You're not catching me going into that dough. 
I'm not ready. It's not my time to be a seed that's planted. I'm just getting ready. In God's hand, he plants seeds and he needs dough. He, he places us into, that's why he calls us into be church. He calls us into community where my individualism begins to die and our corporate begins to rise. What we can do together is much greater than we can do as individuals. We can accomplish more things. We can actually be more fragrant. And one of the things God wants to deal with in us is our independence and our unwillingness to allow him to plant and work in us. So the resistance is, but if, I plant, if I'm planted there, I can't go over here. No, you can't. Well, I want to. Die. I died for you. If you want to remain, your, your, hold your independence, you will die. And God might say, I never knew you. It's not, honestly, this is not me teaching. In the sense of it, Jesus speaks about it. So to be truthful, we have to talk about this. It's actually bad news wanting to be independent. The bad news is being left alone. The bad news is staying isolated. The good news is when you're part of something that's more than yourself. It's, it's quite depressing being mustered with potential. <laughs> and yeast with a future. It's much more fun being the mustard seed bush. The first time I saw mustard seed was outside Jerusalem. There was a mustard bush growing out of the wall of the old city. And I held all these mustard seeds. They are tiny. Come with me on the trip and we'll go and look at one. But uh, the mustard seed is so small. See, there's, uh, there's only one issue in everything we're talking about today. We're talking about faith. If Jesus is the Son of God, and if he went to the cross for everything I've ever done that would cause God to be angry, and he's taken me, and he's, he's risen from the dead, and he says, I want life on earth to know me and know what it's like to be loved by a father. And I want to be able to plant them and mix them and make things through them that they could never have accomplished on their own. If that's all true, then he says, then trust me. But the one thing God will not do, he will not force you and he will not force me into obedience. He invites us into relationships where he teaches us how to become obedient out of his ongoing love for us. He just keeps on affirming that. And so when we resist, one of the questions that God the Father asks us is, what is it that you're afraid of or what is it that's causing you to resist me right now? It's one of the ways we can grow with Jesus. We just start listening to ourselves and say, what, it is, what is it that's rising up in you that gets anxious right now? I used to be really anxious about, you know, am I really a Christian? And you go, well, I, I, I've said yes to Jesus, or I don't know, I haven't got this moment. And eventually it was just, you know, stop worrying about that. I've, Jesus, I've asked you into my life. I've asked you to forgive me of my sin. This is, if you're not a Christian now, this is how you become a Christian. Jesus has already initiated the whole process. He created you. The fact that it might have got a messy on the way isn't his fault. It's us wanting to take ownership of creation. But he's not, he's not so impotent that he can't rescue creation. That's why I say to people, um, if you've had an abortion, for instance, 
You haven't got authority over that child's life. You've got the authority to kill the child on earth, but God never gave you the authority to kill its spirit. So he redeems that. He's very sad for what's happened and it's actually wounded you and he can set you free from that wound because he forgives everything. But he's got limits on the authority he gives us. You have authority to mess up your life, but he's also got the ability to say, I can forgive you for anything you've ever done. It's what I do. So even God's hardest word is actually an invitation to love. We've talked about this before, the Ten Commandments. How many you know, people say, oh, I keep the Ten Commandments, I didn't kill anybody? The Ten Commandments are not meant to be kept. Did you know that? God's not stupid. He didn't give the Ten Commandments because he thought anyone would keep them. He gave the Ten Commandments to be like a mirror. He said, look in the mirror and you'll need a savior. The Ten Commandments is a description of God's heart. And a description of God's heart and a description of Jesus. He says, if you stand next to that, that'll be your truth detector. When you look in that mirror and you look perfect, you'll be Jesus. Until then, you'll need him next to you. So every time you look in the Ten Commandments as a mirror, Jesus stands right behind you and says, I can help. You're not meant to come away from the Ten Commandments looking good. You're meant to come away from the Ten Commandments saying, I need help. He says, now I've got your attention. Maybe we can have a relationship. Everybody lives by faith. Every single person here lives by faith. Right now, you're living by faith. You're trusting in something. It's good to know what it is that you're trusting in. If you're insisting upon being the mustard seed without dissolving, you're trusting in yourself. If you're continually resisting and critiquing and maintaining your independence and you're not belonging to anything or submitting to anything, you're trusting in yourself. If you're always blaming other people for things and you're making excuses and you're never quite getting there, you're trusting in yourself. You might have all the reasons in the world from an abused childhood to a terrible lifestyle and an awful marriage and everything else is still, at the end of the day, your, your decision. There comes a point where you go, you know, my life, I can't trust myself with my life anymore. I've been there about five, no, 55 times probably. I have said yes to Jesus and pulled it back, then yes to Jesus and pulled it back, then yes to Jesus and pulled it back. Every time I've pulled it back, I've had to come back and say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You know what? He never said no. Quite a few people in the church said no. Quite a few people in the church said, I wouldn't forgive him. Look what he's done. You know who John Cox is? You know what he did? And I said, stone me, brother. But there's a big rock coming down on your head. (laughs) You without sin throw the first stone. I'm coming to terms with my brokenness and my need for grace. I speak of that which I know. There is freedom. There is freedom in saying, Father, I'm a work in progress. I'm genuinely not giving license to stuff that's wrong. But there's freedom in saying, Lord, continue, please, to work in me so that I can become what I'm not yet. That's all Christians are. Christians are people who say, 
Life is a mystery. Life is bigger than me. And I certainly haven't got it by the tail. And I need help. I am someone who is longing for a father. And I am incomplete. But I want to know God the Father as he's revealed himself in this person, Jesus. And I can't do it on my own. So Jesus says in this passage... This is the part that we don't want to look at. He says, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he doesn't really answer them other than say to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. And he is the door, Jesus. So what we do with Jesus is part of the answer to that question. Many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and we taught in your streets. You taught in our streets. I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. Evildoers, but we, we hung out with you. I don't know who you are. That scares me. That really does scare me. I came to this point when I went to a Graham Cook conference about seven years ago when some of you were there, and I had been in the wilderness for about seven, actually it was closer to nine years. And God had absolutely every right to say, you're not coming in again. He had every right in the world to say, no, not again. I'm done with you. But, but, no, forget it. And somebody said, I think it was Graham Cook actually said, you know, God gives you windows, opportunities to come to him. And if you say no to that opportunity, you'll be wandering around in the desert again until you come back to another window and you have the other opportunity. The only problem is you're going to have the same conversation that you're avoiding. And there was something in me that was afraid I was afraid of the wilderness again. I'd been in the wilderness for so long. And I said, I don't want that anymore. And I have a sense of this conversation we've got to have, and I'm scared of it. Because there's part of my rebellion that's hooked in there. But the wilderness was worse. And so I had to say, God, I'm jumping through that window, and I don't know how it's all going to work out. I can't protect you from the decisions you have to make. I can't water it down to a point where there's no decision. I can't say to you there's never any struggle. I can't say to you the future is clear. You're going to have to take it in trust. When I had to say yes, I thought I was marrying someone else. I had poured out my life in a situation that had gone on for years. I'm being very vulnerable now, but I'm just keeping it real. And I didn't know how to let that go, but it wasn't working, but I was stuck. It took God two more years to set me free. And there's still unanswered questions. I don't understand all of the processes. But I do know that I stand here today because of His grace and His faithfulness. But I am saying to you, if you're like me, there's some of us, we keep ducking away because we don't want to deal with some of the difficult truths that he has to say. You can't go this way and this way. You have to trust me. I don't know how to. 
I'll give you people to walk with so that you can learn trust. I'll give you people to walk with so that you can actually be molded. I'll give you people to walk with who will actually help you become what you cannot become yourself. So some of you actually supported me for a year right at the beginning of that. You said we believe in you even when you look totally unbelievable. It's one of the cool things about a church is when you start calling people up to who they are when they don't feel it themselves. Have you ever been there? You feel damned, you feel totally betrayed, and half the Christian church wants you to disappear. And somebody comes up and says, I believe in you. And Jericho Road was birthed out of that. Brokenness, humiliation, sinfulness, and a whole lot of grace. I wasn't actually, to be honest, none of this was, is what I was planning to say this morning. I've got another talk. <laughs> sort of. I said to Bill while we were saying, I said, sometimes I start here and I don't know what I'm going to say and sometimes it feels heavy and I go, I can't even inspire myself. But I'm talking about faith. And I'm talking about placing your hand in the hand of God and making a decision to do that day by day. By the time I crashed and burned, I had nine years of university, three and a half degrees. Very impressive resume. That meant nothing when it came to guarding my own heart and walking with integrity. God had to begin to rework things in me that had got broken and twisted and I think also taken hold of by the evil one. I take full responsibility for my part, but there's mystery to that as well. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Well done, good and faithful servant. What do you want? Well done, good and faithful servant? Then be a servant. Sign up for him and say, I give up once and for all. He says, I don't care if you scream. I don't care if you, you arm wrestle me. I'll arm wrestle my kids. I'll help you. I don't want you to walk meekly in a line behind me, just going, yes, sir, no, sir. I want you to be real. And you watch what I'll do with a life that is real with me. I told God to F off for seven years. I was so angry, so frustrated, so hurt. And he said, you can't scare me with words. F-bombs don't scare me. You're just an idiot. I'm not shocked like all the Christians are by every time anybody does anything real. I'm the savior of the world. I've actually forgiven your sin. I could tell you more about sin than you've ever imagined in your life. I'm tougher than that. You don't have to protect me. But I'm ruthless with it. And I cover it with my blood. Because grace goes deep, 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 deep to the bottom. So there's nothing, nothing in your life right now, nothing that is even close to causing God to say, oh, can't use you. The only thing he wants is, will you let me plant you? Will you let me use you so that you can become but you're not yet. If you're like me, you're going to say, no, I'm not going to do that because I've got this relationship and I want to carry on with this relationship. It's one of the big ones. And 10 years down the road, you go, shoot, why didn't I listen? Because this relationship is awful. Or it eventually comes into alignment with him. Luke 17. We'll finish with this. 
Goodness me, this went in a different direction. This is the good news. There is good news. This is actually good news in a sort of funny way. You know, there's huge relief when you know in your heart of hearts that you're not all that you cracked up to be and somebody says, you're not all you cracked up to be and I go, thank you so much, I'm busted. Whew. Now I can get on with life. That's what Jesus wants to do. It's really simple. There's so many people stressing by keeping up appearances and you go, oh, for goodness sake, who are you kidding? And then we're afraid of what life might be because we've never been to that place before when we're not in a place of brokenness. And he says, I know you're afraid. That's why you need people. But if I were you, I'd be more afraid of staying where you are. How happy are you? And if you're so happy, why are you keeping popping pills? I've come to set you free. So why don't we go into freedom? And so in Luke 17, Jesus tells a story about mustard seed again. And what did, you know the story. He says, what does it say? I've forgotten. The apostles <laughs> kind of get frightened all the time. And, and they ask Jesus funny questions. And, and so he's talking about, <laughs> in, verse, in chapter 17, imagine that he, he says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. That's good news, right? He's saying, be, be prepared for screw-ups. It's going to happen. It'd be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And the disciples are listening to this going, oh, shoot. I mean, millstone around your neck if you cause someone to stumble and you go, well, I've caused people to stumble. I'm not perfect. I, he says, Lord, increase our faith. And what does he say? He says this. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will bear you. I'm not going to go into the rest of what I was going to say. Um, to have your life changed, to have Jesus work in our lives, requires a mustard seed of faith, which is, God, if you're real, please help me. That's probably more than a mustard seed. You being here today is a mustard seed of faith. Now, the battle is that you keep on discounting yourself and saying, well, I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And, and, and that's like the, the, the mustard seed saying, I'm not a bush. I'm not, a, I'm not this. I'm not that. And he said, of course you're not. You're a seed. That's why at the beginning of the service we said, I'm not perfect. We know that. So therefore, God says to you this morning, if you give me the mustard seed of faith you have, well, you might have more than that. See what happens. It's not how much faith you have. You've heard this many times. It's where you place your faith. It's where you place your faith. And the biggest thing that will make a transformation in your life is when you consciously give that faith to Jesus. Which means you have to lift it out of, I'm trusting in finances. I'm trusting in my relationship. I'm trusting that my circumstances will be all right. I'm trusting in my job being secure. I'm trusting in my health. Because every single one of those can be taken away. And then what happens? So there's an element of saying, you need to know where your faith is. And if I say, Jesus, I plant myself in you. I thank you that you have loved me and I give you myself. I want to become all that you have become. You want me to be. And I bet you a mustard seed has never seen a mustard bush. Many of us here have stunted our lives. We are drifting along discussing what we once did and what, what God once said, and we've actually are coasting along now.
And God says, I'm actually wanting to release more and more and more and more. So you see those hands? Those are where the mustard goes. The mustard seed goes in those hands and says, do with me what you will. I am more alive today than I've ever been in my life, even though it's nearly 60. That's scary. That is totally scary. I only feel about 25. But this, 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 I am more alive as I risk myself with Jesus. Coming to see you tomorrow, by the way, for a medical checkup. <laughs> you don't know that, do you? Nine o'clock. <laughs> they said you were going to be there. I said, I don't mind. <laughs> But <laughs> we, uh, it's about where we place our faith. And I believe what God wants to do for us today is he says, I, if, I, this is not about being frightened. It's being about, about being assured. And he's asking you one question as he asks me one question day by day. Will you trust me today? Will you place your life in my hands and see what happens? And the way you know that... I give you permission. It's real simple. You just say, Jesus, yes. I give you permission to work in my life with all these things that are tangled up. And I ask you to, to help me. There's a video that was in my talk that I think still applies. So we'll wind up with this. You never believe me when I say I wind up with anything. But You can turn the light off. You can turn the sound up. So what... Uh, we're talking about this morning is a call to action. Really. And we can do this every day. It's a call to action where I just declare to myself and to God. Uh, you see, <laughs> if you're smoking right now, you go, they always use that as an example. I don't know how to give it up. You come to God smoking. And you say, please help me. Quit. Please bring me to a place where I want to quit. You don't wait until you've stopped or wait until you want to. You come to the one who says, I can help you with anything. I'm not asking you to clean up your act to come to me this morning. I'm saying I've come to help you clean up your act. There you go, Kat. It's not as bad as you think. So, it's, it's, it's about a God who loves you and adores you where you are. But says, if you could see what I have for you, you'd be running into my arms. Place your faith in my goodness and my kindness that I've showed on the cross. And I have a life for you that you haven't begun to imagine. But you need the support of others 